Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, for Sunday school today, uh, as we've been going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, section by section, uh, today we come to uh, Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 7. So let me just read it, and then um, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll summarize it and, and talk about what it's uh, saying. So this is Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 7. You'll find that in, the, in your bulletins. Uh, on the on the uh, on the inside, Paul, um, or or there, yes, uh, where it says, "All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other." that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Basically, what uh, the Confession of Faith talks about in this section is what we call the perspicuity of Scripture. The perspicuity of Scripture. Perspicuity is just a large word for um, the the. The, the plainness, the, clar uh, the clarity of Scripture. Perspicuity literally means being able to see through something. Okay? Um, so the see-throughness of Scripture, meaning it's plain, it's clear. Um, and all this, all this section says about Scripture is that not all things in Scripture are plain. And not all things in Scripture are easily understood. However... The things relating to our salvation, the basic tenets of our salvation, the basic teachings of our faith are easily understood. They are clear. They are perspicuous uh, such that both the learned, meaning people who have uh, you know, education or higher education, and the unlearned, people who do not have education, maybe even people who might not be literate, both the learned and unlearned can know the basic beliefs, the basic facts about our faith, the basic tenets of uh, salvation um, through uh, what the confession says, the ordinary use of the means, meaning uh, basically uh, the means of grace uh, is scripture, uh, uh, the, the ordinances, um, but primarily scripture. Uh, in essence, it's just saying uh, everything we need to know about salvation is in God's word. And you can just use God's word to, to understand it, the basic facts about salvation. Not every part of the Bible, because some parts are a little bit more difficult. Um, but the basic uh, ideas about our faith and salvation are clear to everybody. Um, this is very different than the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. You have to remember when they wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, this was a lot of it in opposition to what the Roman Catholic Church taught. Um, the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and I'm taking this from the, uh, the G.I. Williamson uh, book about the Confession of Faith. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that uh, they, they, have, they have their own catechism. And this is uh, their question and answer. How can we know the true meaning of the doctrines contained in the Bible? 
Okay, so you just heard what the confession of faith says is that, well, the basic doctrines of the Bible that are necessary for our salvation, anybody can learn them by just reading the word, by just the ordinary use of the means of grace. Okay, but this is how the Roman Catholic Church answers this. We can know the true meaning from the Catholic Church, which has been authorized by Jesus Christ to explain his doctrines and which is preserved from error in its teachings by the special assistance of the Holy Ghost. So the Roman Catholic Church basically says, well, you know, how can you really know the basic doctrines of salvation or the basic doctrines of scripture? Well, you need the church to explain it to you. The, the explanation is from the church, which has been authorized by Christ to give you this explanation. All right. So it actually creates a system where, you know, you have scripture that's here, but then you have the church's interpretation of scripture that's equally authoritative or perhaps more authoritative than, than your own reading of scripture itself. Um, and this is basically what the Westminster Confession of Faith is reacting against. It's saying, no, the, the, the basic tenets of salvation, the basic tenets of our faith are clear. They're perspicuous, such that just by using the ordinary means, just by reading scripture, you'll gain a, a clear understanding of them. Um, even though there are parts of scripture, obviously, that are very head-scratching. Um, in my devotions, I've been going through First John. <laughs> and I'll just give you an example of something that still today confuses me. All right? Um, the part in John where John talks about the three witnesses of Christ. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. First John five. And listen, if you guys have a, you know, clear explanation for this, that somehow I'm missing, feel free to tell me. Okay. Uh, this is first John five verse six. This is he, this is John talking about Christ and how we know that he is the Christ, the Messiah. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So if I take apart that paragraph and just take it verse by verse, I agree with John on every point, right? You know, the, 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 the water, uh, which I, you know, my understanding is uh, talking about Christ's baptism. The blood, talking about Christ's uh, death and resurrection, uh, his, his, his death on the cross. Uh, and the spirit, which, which testifies, right, uh, that Christ is the, the Messiah. Um, but when he gets to that part where he says, the three bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Okay, that verse by itself, he's talking about the Trinity, right? And, and, and the triune God, and it's one God and three persons. Okay, I get that. But then he says, there are three that bear witness on earth, the water, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one as well. Okay, I agree with that verse. But then how, how is he connecting these verses together? Like, what's the, 
what's the what's the connection between you know those three it, it it's it's i i still don't understand fully i don't know if you guys have a more simple simpler explanation <laughs> that's not the only part okay that's not the only part but it's one of the places just in my devotion that I was like huh i still scratch my head about that um but anyway there are deep parts of scripture that it's hard to understand but me having questions about that part does not throw into question my whole salvation and my whole faith because those parts of scripture that are important for our salvation and our walk of faith those are clear and not just clear for the learned or people who go to seminary or have degrees or pastors or elders but clear for everybody anybody who searches scripture um Second Peter three sixteen talks about this. Second Peter three. I'll start reading from verse fourteen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So there, Paul, Peter is basically exhorting uh, the church to be diligent in our walk of faith uh, to be diligent in our sanctification so that we are we are making strides each day uh, to be found without spot and blameless of obviously you know the bible says we're, we'll never reach perfection in our walk of sanctification but the bible also presses us to to, to uh, progress in our sanctification sanctification each and every day towards that goal okay um and peter basically says you know i talk about it but paul in his letters to you also talk about the same thing so because we both say it and because the word of god says it be diligent to do this and then and then as a as a sort of aside that's where peter says you know there are some things in paul's letters that are hard to understand hard to understand for peter and Peter also acknowledges for the church. Um, but then Peter also says that even though those things are hard to understand, it's still people who are untaught and unstable, you know, the heretics, the false teachers who, who take those scriptures and twist it to their own devices to, to, um, to serve their own purposes. Uh, as they do the rest of scripture. So these people, these false teachers, not only take the harder to understand parts of scripture and twist them, they also take the easy to understand parts of scripture, all of scripture, in fact, and they and they twist it. Um, but there you, you have the acknowledgement from Peter that there are some things in scripture that are hard to understand. However, um, when Peter, what Peter says before basically affirms the fact that scripture is clear. 
because he, he, he exhorts uh, the church to strive for our sanctification. He can't make that, uh, he can't exhort us to do that if scripture was not clear to us, right? If scripture was not accessible and clear, the basic parts of it, um, he would have to say something like, well, you know, you guys can strive for your sanctification, but you got to, you know, make sure somebody's there to explain it to you all. We have to make sure that you, you know, whenever you read scripture, you check with the church to make sure that your interpretation is of it is correct. Then you can go and strive for, you know, sanctification. Paul, uh, Peter doesn't say that. He basically calls the church. We all have to strive for sanctification. Um, other parts of scripture that show us that scripture is perspicuous. You have the example of the Bereans, Acts 17. All right. So let me just read that quickly. Uh, I'm reading Acts 17 verses 10 to 12. This is after Paul and his companions had been driven out of Thessalonica because of a because of a riot. So the next place they go to is this place called Berea. So Acts 17, beginning in verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So there we see the uh, story of the Bereans, a, a very well-known story, how uh, even when Paul went into their city and, and, and taught them, they still searched scriptures to confirm, to see whether the things that Paul was teaching them were, were true. Now, these Bereans are just normal people like you and me. The scripture does not say, well, these Bereans were, especially they were all PhDs. <laughs> you know, they were all university graduates or they were all philosophers. And, you know, these were of a, of a higher, you know, higher class in terms of their education background. All right. Uh, no, these were just regular folks from all across the spectrum. You know, the Bereans were. And yet all of them were able to search scripture to find out whether the things that Paul was teaching was true or not. Which, the word to the word. Yes. And they were able to do that because the word is clear. Because the word is clear. If the word was not clear, then these regular folks would not be able to do that. They would have to seek some expert. Uh, like the church or some kind of teacher to, to teach them. I was going to say that um, the word commends them for doing that. Yes. It doesn't say, hey, you should have gone so-and-so. And, exactly. And they're act uh, the Bereans, of course, we know, they are held up as an example for all of us. We are to be like Bereans. Well, they're just regular people like the people sitting here, like you and me. Okay? They're not all trained. They're not all educated. Um, and they were able to search scripture 
to, to, to confirm the things that Paul was teaching, which means scripture is clear. They weren't, uh, you know, they didn't have to seek another source. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, let's go way back in history. And we know this part because this is where we get the greatest commandment, right? But let me read Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Remember, this is God through Moses giving his law again to his people right before they're about to cross into the promised land. Okay, so this is after they're wandering in the desert and they're about to cross over and now Deuteronomy, which literally means a second giving of the law. This is God giving his commandments to his people again through Moses. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is not only the greatest commandment, but God telling the Israelites, now you who are adults and moms and dads, you are to teach them to your household, to your little ones, every day when they rise up, when they go to bed, you know, when they go out of the house, when they come in the house. Um, this is God commanding all the Israelites to be teaching his commands and his teachings to their families. Now, the Israelites are not, you know, they're not all PhDs people, right? Because one, they were slaves in Egypt. And two, they've been wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, maybe they got homeschooled or, or whatever. But, but like, you know, these are the Israelites who are not overall a, 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 a highly educated group. We know just in that time, uh, the, 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 the folks who were literate, who could read and write, there were very few. Right. Basically, it was the priests who could read and write. OK, but but these were people that today we would consider to be illiterate. And yet God is commanding them to teach his word. To their future generations. OK, um, so those are the Israelites. If God commanded them to teach his word to their future generations, then that means that his word is clear. It's perspicuous that even the simple-minded can, can learn and be able to not only learn, but teach. Scripture itself affirms this in multiple places, all right, where it talks about God's word is able to make wise the simple. 
Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the, the, the word of the Lord is able to make wise those who are simple, those without a high learning, without a higher, high education. Um, and it also doesn't, and also in Deuteronomy, we could say, you know, God doesn't tell the Israelites, well, you got to teach this to your kids, but make sure you check it with Moses first. You know, make sure you check it with the, 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 the priest in the tabernacle first before you teach it to your kids. Or have the priest in the tabernacle. Send your kids to the tabernacle to get an education because you can't do it yourself. Right? You need some kind of you know, higher learning in order to, to teach them uh, the, the precepts of, of the word. Okay? God doesn't say that. Uh, Proverbs 1.4. And then we'll end with one more verse. Proverbs 1.4. Well, actually, I'll read, uh, this is the prologue to Proverbs. I'll read one, verses 1 through 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence or wisdom to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. So of all the books in the Bible, Proverbs is probably the one filled with the most wisdom, uh, deep wisdom, you could say. And yet here in the prologue, it says, you know, all these wonderful things to give wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. This is understanding wisdom from God. And yet in verse four, it says to give wisdom to the simple. So not just to the learned, but to the simple, which means even the, the most difficult things in Proverbs, God says, the simple are able to gain understanding from this, which means God's word is so clear. Okay, the basic facts of our salvation are so clear that even the simple can, uh, can uh, understand. Last thing comes from the way God chooses us in election. 1 Corinthians, and we know this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord. Um, the fact that God chose the foolish things of the world, the despised things of the world, the base things of the world. The fact that God didn't just choose the smart people of the world, but like regular people, okay? The fact that God chose them must mean that God enables them to be saved. God chose them to be saved. He, he actuates their salvation. And that it must also mean that God provides them every single tool that they need to be saved or to... 
Yeah, made for the whosoever's, including the word. So the word must be accessible to the whosoever's, right? It must be clear to them. Um, and in fact, it goes on to say, the fact that God does this, the fact that scripture is so clear and accessible and perspicuous to, to just the simple-minded and the despised of the world, means that nobody can boast. Nobody can boast about, you know, I've got greater understanding and greater access to God's word than everybody else. If you think about it, one of the results of the Roman Catholic Church's stance on scripture, where they said, you know, you need us to explain everything, is that it gives them a position of boasting, which they did, right? Um, and which they still do. Uh, and not just the Roman Catholic Church, but, um, but many other sources as well. It gives a person a place to boast, if you can say to others, well, you really need me. Yeah, power. You really need me to explain scripture to you, otherwise you can't be saved. They also uh, like glorify money. Yes. The fact that people can buy. Yeah, certainly. That I mean, power leads to money, right? If 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 I tell people you must come to me for your soul, yeah. right? For your soul's salvation, I attract a lot of people. And guess what? I charge five dollars a you know five dollars a minute. <laughs> You know, $60 an hour, whatever, right? Um, yeah, you gain a lot of money that way. Uh, and which is what unfortunately happened. Fortunately, well, unfortunately, you know, I, I would say fortunately happened in the Roman Catholic Church. The practice got so corrupt that we had the Reformation, which is actually a good thing for, for all of us. Um, any questions about or any comments about what we talked about today about the perspicuity of Scripture? I mean, as, uh, as encouragement, um, you know, when, when you go and when we go and, and we're just handing out tracts and we're not even having an opportunity to talk to people because they don't want to talk to us because they're hostile or whatever, but, but just the, the random person that picks up a tract, uh, you can know God can work through that because it's his word. It's his word and his word is clear, right? And his spirit uses that word to strike people's hearts, to, to, to rejuvenate, to, to renew people's hearts, to give them new life, that they would come to repentance and, and faith and salvation. There's power in the Word. There's power in the Word, which, you know, uh, there are some tracts that are much more biblical than others, right? Which is why we choose the tracts that are, you know, predominantly God's Word and not just like drawings and, and whatnot, right? Uh, or feel-good, you know, paragraphs and, and things like that. But it's God's Word that, that can, that is that can change people. And the reason why it can change people is because it's perspicuous, it's clear enough.